morning. Thank you for being here. Nice to have your spirits here today. Um, I actually just came back from the trip. Um, I made the trip to the pipeline three. I don't know if all of you may know, this is a pipeline um, that are being constructed right now. Actually, hopefully right now, not, not right now, this second, because people, the water protectors out there are guarding it. We need you. We need all of us. All of us are made up of water. And the water is calling to each and one of our waters in our bodies. This is a major pipeline that goes from the Alberta, Canada, to all the way to the um, Lake Superior. It uh, crosses the land of indigenous people, um, already have endangered uh, their crops, their uh, rice, wild rice in the area. They endanger the recreation of everybody around that area where the pipeline goes through. Fishes, hunting, um, all the animals. And, you know, amazing thing about the area is it is full of water. The water is everywhere in the land. So any spills and this tar, so this pipeline is one of the biggest pipelines that is being constructed by this company in Canada called Enbridge. It's the most expensive pipeline to date. And it will contain the most toxic kind of uh, oil, which is called tar sands. So think about if this tar sand spills out of that pipe. What they're trying to do right now, this uh, company, the Canadian company called Enbridge, is that they had this old, they had this old pipeline going through the land. However, there have been leaks and there has been con contamination in the land. So now, and I believe it's from 1960s, the old pipeline, and now they're trying to renew, making it even bigger. And I don't know what they're going to do with the old pipeline. They might, I don't know how it's going to be taken care of, but it's a, a painful violation of um, human greed that's starting to happen. So we, I encourage that this talk, I, I'm hoping that this share today by me and Koan, who came with me, another water protector, um, can offer something for all of us to spread words about this pipeline. Um, this month in particular is a very important month. Uh, there is um, a permit that will um, go, right now there's appeals being done um, in Minnesota court. And uh, at the end of this month, I believe actually, actually 21st, uh, there is going to be a decision about this permit. They're reconsidering the validity of, um, do we really need, you know, oil, this much oil? So this is what's happening right now as we speak. People are reconsidering. 
So the faster that we act, the better it is right now. And we can do a lot of things together. If people are moved, please go. Bring your bodies out there. Um, if you can't, there's many different ways you can support this um, resistance, resistance work. Um, appeal to Biden. There's letters that you can write. Uh, please visit um, pipe, uh, stop pipe read.org, I believe. Uh, please visit that page to learn more about it. Everybody can do something about it. It's a dire situation. And we're talking about Mississippi River, a major river. There's many um, veins of those rivers, tributaries, is that right? Tributaries of that river going through all kinds of areas around that the pipeline. Um, earth is our body. So if the, the water is contaminated, it's like our blood the veins, right? The blood is going to be contaminated in the earth. So um, I'm feeling very passionate uh, to bring this request today. And I also would like to honor the um, indigenous people, particularly the leaders in this resistance work have been the um, indigenous women who have been putting their bodies out there to fight this, to lead this for all of us, not just for their lands, but they're leading us in terms of protecting water for this earth. So I really, uh, I really would like to acknowledge that today as I talk. The treaty is being violated over and over and over. I, I've um, myself been doing some research on that their land, we've granted that land, and here we are violating the land. So um, this trip that I made came out of my body, came out of a place that was not known to me. I had no idea if it was going to be realized. And um, I had no idea how it was going to be like. And I can only say that it has been realized. Um, and it has um, continually taught me. And what it had taught me is this um, sense of um, my life. That my life, my word right now, body, breath, this is all supported by every single being that I come across, uh, particularly to make this journey possible. I thank Nobuko Hori, she's here with us today. Um, she is a, a brave um, water protector who guided me through this journey. Um, she was a main um, person that I was in contact with to get this uh, journey realized, basically. And um, 
every single person that um, that I was in contact with throughout this journey, my husband and my son, you know, they, my husband had to um, uh, take care of my son while I was away for five nights. So deep gratitude to my, my husband, who's here too today. Um, and the, the heart of the Sangha and the practice of the Sangha, I felt that you had helped me throughout um, you know, every single person that I see here, um, your um, spirit and um, the energy has supported me on the way. It was not very easy. Um, you know, there were many unknown things on the way. We were planning first to stay with um, um, at this camp that was led by indigenous women. But when we arrived there, we found out that um, uh, we, it was better that we go somewhere else and um, open up space for other people who are willing to take red rolls. So the red rolls are the rolls um, where people actually bring their bodies to get arrested. People who are in red rolls are uh, willing to get arrested. And that was not my role. Um, I stayed in green um, for many reasons. Uh, and so once I got there, we got there, we found out that, oh, you know, uh, we, we had all the camping gears with us, ready to, to camp out there. And, and yet um, uh, it felt appropriate that we go to another place it was a um, so mainly what, what, where we stayed was this airbnb a huge um former i guess preschool school it was a big airbnb where i believe 40 to 45 50 maybe people stay there and most of them were um affiliated with uh, a major climate justice group organization and um it turned out that our duty or what we felt that was appropriate in the moment, me and Cohen, were to be of service to people who were um, staying at this Airbnb, who had this major plans to um, block the construction workers from coming into the site on Monday, actually this Monday, where when um, there was a major action, direct action that happened. So these people um, that we stayed with at this Airbnb were mostly um, red rural people willing to take um, arrestment. And most of them did. A lot of them did. And so uh, there's red rural, which was the, uh, the most risk rural. And there was also yellow rural, which was kind of in between, and the green rural. Now, I believe my role, green role, I was the only person who was holding this green role. And uh, my major challenges practice came in to that, that uh, specific challenge. Um, because, you know, I was wondering, what can I do, you know, as a, as a person who's not going there? And um, 
what I've um, um, decided to offer was to cook, cook for people, to just um, do zazen throughout and hold, hold um, body for people. So I, when I was walking, I uh, wanted to um, offer that presence. I wanted to um, open up my, my, myself to others in that way. But it, it's, it was not always that easy um, because um, my deep conditioning came forth, which was, um, you know, am I doing enough for these people? And, um, you know, there have been, and I'm, you know, I, I have this condition that I get very fatigued easily. So any meetings after 10 p.m. was like, no, no for me. <laughs> And uh, there were a lot of young bodies in the in the group, and very energetic. And people went on meetings after 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And um, a lot of us slept on the the floor of the of the living room. Uh, thankfully, we had the camping gear, so we had the little mattress to you know um, make um, to lie down. And um, an amazing thing that I, I witnessed there um, is exactly what I was talking about in the end, uh, beginning, which is this coming together of generosity. So just as my sub- life is supported by all of you and all of us are supporting each other's lives, the water in us, right? my water in me speaks the water in you. And we support our water this way. These things were happening in the group too. Very young people, like 18 years old, who was amazing mature leader. Um, I believe a lot of 20s, people in 20s as well, who were ready to put their bodies into action. They were very passionate. No fear. Um, and then there were... Um, Older people, like 88-year-old women, who um, I believe drove from Massachusetts, and she, um, her particular history was very interesting. I, um, I don't know the details, but I am aware that she had been adopted, I think, by indigenous people. So she, um, her work revolved around um, being service, being of service to indigenous culture and indigenous people. So what I heard was that she's been arrested many, many, many times, that the police had known, you know, really know her well. And this woman, 88-year-old woman, is in red roll, you know, sitting on a very hot day, um, willing to be arrested. And... Um, Many different people of many different talents were together, sharing the best of them themselves. Lawyer, lawyer and preschool teacher, um, singers, um, many different people. And they all chipped in, we all chipped in to make this um, action come true. 
very intense action. You know, these people basically stayed overnight in storming rain and thunder um, with this structure. There's uh, uh, several things that they brought forth. It was just amazing to see how this was all coordinated. On the day of, um, of the action, which was on Monday, early in the morning, everybody got, to, got up early in the morning. The night before, they, most of them hardly slept. And five people, four or five people assigned to each cars. Four or five cars drove out all together to the construction site to bring the structure and to bring their bodies. Most, a lot of them had um, tied them, their bodies, attached their bodies to these structures to make it difficult for police to um, take them away. It was very risky business. Very intense, intense moments we've experienced. When people can't sleep and they work so hard and we're to the last stretch of our strength. This was also a place where I have to, to, for my practice, have to really examine and discern how much was enough for me. You know, what felt, what felt wholehearted and what felt like it was too much. And so, um, I had an opportunity to practice that as well. Um, last night we stayed there. We decided, me and Koan decided that we need to leave now. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to listen to the land now. So that was very lovely. The last night we got to camp at the um, Itasca Park. So Itasca Park is um, uh, close to the Itasca Lake, where, which is the headwaters of Mississippi River. So that's where we, we um, stayed and we had an opportunity to listen to the land and water. Water's there. Um, I wanted to um, share um, this poem. And, um, and there will be question and answer time and Koan will be speaking later as well. Um, so the details of the trips, you know, um, I'll answer at that time. But I really wanted to, to um, offer this poem to, to everyone here to, today because it, um, not, it's, it's not different than Bodhisattva vow. Doing impossible things. When we are encountered with difficulties that feels impossible to overcome, what do we do? And we know this, right? Most of us, we've taken vows. Even if you haven't taken vows, you may have heard it. And this is, as a Buddhist, this is the, our practice, is to make vows. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. This is one of the vows, the most major vow that we make. And this poem, um, with the softness of water, and determination of river speaks to me. This vow, and um, 
I'm going to talk about this. It is about this, this little animal, muskrat. I don't know if you know this animal, muskrat. It's kind of like a rat-like creature that resides, I believe, in that area. You know, and so it is a mythical, well, it's not a mythical creature. It's a, it's a revered creature by indigenous culture. And their original story is about this, this muskrat. Um, their original story starts with a woman falling down from the sky to, into the darkness. And beings that are watching, witnessing this human woman falling down from the sky into the water. Um, all these beings like loons and geese and um, sturgeons and, and uh, beavers and all these creatures, they hold a candle because they don't know what to do with this woman. They, they know, though, that this woman needs a land to live. So all these um, divers, great divers of the water, decides to go down deep into the water to get the mud at the bottom of the water. Dark and mysterious darkness, unknown. One by one, these brave creatures go in and try to get this, this mud for this woman. But everybody fails except this muskrat, very frail creature who's not a very good diver very vulnerable, with little flail legs, he jumps in. And everybody um, kind of gives up, you know, oh my God, he's probably drowned, you know. And then at last he comes up and he hold, he's holding in his tiny fist the sands, this mud. And, and the, the sky woman uh, received this gift from the muskrat and spreads the mud, mud on the turtle that she's on. And as she spreads this mud and dances joyfully with thanksgiving, the Turtle Island. And this is the land. This is where we're sitting right now. Beautiful story, isn't it? So that said, um, I'm going to give you this whole poem. It's called Dreams of Water Bodies. And it is um, uh, written by um, Anishinaabe poet Kimberly M. Blazer. It starts with this word, Wajshak. Wajshak. It means muskrat in Ojibwe language. It's a language that they use. Wajashk. Small whiskered swimmer. You. A fluid arrow crossing waterways with a simple determination of one who has dived. Purple deep into mythic quest. Belittled or despised as water rat on land. Hero of our Anishinaabe people. In animal tales, creation stories, whose tellers open slowly, magically, like within a dream. You, tiny clenched fist, 
for all water tribes might believe. See the small grains of sand. Oh, only those poor few. But they become our turtle island. This good and well-dreamed land where we stand in this moment on the edge of so many bodies of water and watch Washak, our brother, slip through pools and streams and lakes. This marshland earth hallowed by the memory, the telling, the hope, the dive of sleek whiskered swimmers who mark a dark path. And sometimes in our water dreams, we pitiful land dwellers in longing recall and singing make spirits ready to follow Bakobi. And Bakobi means go down into the water. Bakobi, go down into the water. Well, I'm calling to you all. Bakobi, are you ready? Let's do this. And um, now I am going to um, pass on to uh, my dear friend who traveled with me, who without them, I could not make this trip. And we had a wonderful time over there. And um, I'm looking forward to your share. Thank you so much, Yoko. It feels so good to be here with everyone right now to see your faces. It really means a lot um, to me. I think both of us that you're all here right now listening. I feel really shaped by Yoko's words right now. So the, the words in my body and mind feel a little bit less clear. I'm going to talk a little bit about the roles that I also had on the trip and what came up in my body in terms of practice. I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, one role I had on this trip was delivering water and food and umbrellas to protesters who had confined themselves to pipeline equipment or had decided to occupy the property where the pipeline was being built. It was almost 100 degrees on the day of the action. It was really, really hot every day we were there. It was also incredibly bright and humid and sunny and beautiful. I felt like I could actually feel the water in the air and smell it and taste it in my throat. Um, it felt like this blanket that, um, while sometimes causing a lot of sweat and being a little bit annoying, was also this like amazing um, protector that the water and the air was there for us too, like the safety blanket. Um, because of the heat, though, the conditions, the weather outside made heat stroke a very dangerous element of risk for 
people putting their bodies on the line. And um, I was just thinking as Yoko was talking, actually came up for me, it was that uh, in this heat there on the site, there were these huge, beautiful, shady trees. And there was a lot of fresh water around. Um, and it was a little bit ironic to me that I, I am using the pronoun I, but there were, every time I say I, there were so many other people doing the same thing. And so it, it doesn't feel true when I use that pronoun. But um, I was noticing that the land actually had everything that we needed to take care of ourselves in the heat. There was fresh water and there was shade and that um, the pipeline was actively um, interfering with these things that would actually take care of us in this heat and weather. And that um, it felt wrong to have to bring um, supplies in a landscape that was being so, so generous and that we were harming it that this, this, this particular company was harming it. Uh, the other role that I had was a jail support role. So I don't know how many of you here have done jail support before. This meant for me anyways, this meant waiting in jail parking lots to see who arrived in police vans after the arrests. And then um, honestly checking a lot of time, refreshing my phone, uh, looking at Northern Minnesota, county jail rosters to locate where different people were uh, so that they could be taken care of and picked up once they were released and given bail money by the camp. It was a lot of driving uh, with both these roles. It was a lot of driving between points on rural roads. Spent a lot of time in the car um, my primary daily zazen practice turned into being inside this car for hours and noticing this immense gathering of energy in my body, swirling anxiety often and anticipation and strong moments of anger that would come up. They would take turns very quickly. They felt watery, like a uh, quick moving. They would interchange with one another. Sometimes I was with Yoko in the car and Yoko would very sweetly lean over to me while I was driving and say, Koan, are you, are you, are you breathing, my dear? Are you breathing? And I'd usually be like, no. <laughs> it was, um, it's really wonderful the way that Sangha members check in on, on one another. And that the group checked in on one another amidst this whole process. In this very literal, physical running around, um, there would be moments where I'd look up over the windshield or out the window, and I would just notice how beautiful the trees and passing lakes were. And the, the colors of Minnesota looked like a coloring book to me. The grass was green, water was blue, Trees were green, clouds were white. There were things that uh, children assign colors to. And this is really my memory of growing up in Minnesota, too. It was one reason that I felt very called to go on this trip with Yoko and support others doing direct actions was that I felt this was a landscape that had really taken care of me when I was young and growing up and had offered a really 
unconditional, pure form of love that um, I really wanted to um, give back to it. I felt like I really owed something to the land and to the people there. In a lot of ways, I think there were moments in my body where I felt like a child on the trip. I was doing these roles, but I was, I was a child. It wasn't just a memory. I was like literally that child that I was over 20 years ago. What came to mind for me a lot in terms of, I think Zen specifically was the mountains and water citra. Um, and I was reminded of a few lines from the mountains and water citra that I wanted to share. The Blue Mountains devote themselves to the investigation of walking. The East Mountain studies moving over the water. Hence, this study is the mountain's own study. The mountains, without altering their own body and mind, with their own mountain continents, have always been circling back to study themselves. This text felt like a reminder for me that it oftentimes seemed like the hills and trees were very still and I was driving very fast in the car, but that they were actually walking and driving around too as I was running around and that I was also the one that was very still. And I, I really felt the support of the land and waters and protesters um, by remembering my capacity for stillness amidst all that activity going on. And I could recognize the walking of the landscape too, that was a sentient being just like me that needed to be taken care of, that was also moving and breathing and driving around. It was very difficult for me personally to be still when I was watching police unload people from vans I kept asking myself as a kind of practice in those moments, how long can I sit in the parking lot for without looking away? It takes five minutes. It takes 30 minutes. If it takes an hour, how long can I sit here and just not look away? Um, and I found there was such a tenderness and strength in not looking away. The tenderness that arose was very surprising to me. Um, it was like it would build on itself and support itself and could support those around me. It's really my experience that Zen practice trains bodhisattvas to be still and to not look away from harm being done directly in front of us. Sashins and Zazen have been a really great training for this practice of not looking away. I also, in saying this, I want to recognize that for somebody sitting in front of a police station, is not a safe practice and delivering water might also not be a safe practice for them or put their body in harm. Um, and on this trip, I guess a question I often asked myself was how might I, with my own set of karma and conditions, not look away with this particular body, with this embodiment that I have, so for some volunteers, not looking away meant cooking for the group. For another person, not looking away meant maybe not getting on a plane and donating money. In some moments, not looking away could also be resting when there was the need for rest. 
And for someone else not looking away meant chaining themselves to a boat. So one like major teaching for me, I think, on this trip was just that not looking away has many different appropriate, authentic expressions. But that it was very important for me to be honest with myself about what that meant for me with this body, particularly being white, having grown up on land that wasn't mine. I really couldn't have gone without Yoko, um, not just emotionally, but physically. I was so supported by her practice. And as she's already really beautifully articulated, I'm just really grateful for um, everyone that showed up in the ways that they did on the trip. I'm um, after, after the share, um, I'm going to be sending out a resource list for Sangha members as well. I wanted to mention that that has um, some slightly more organized um, information about just different forms and ways that um, you can extend a hand to people fighting in this region. I think that's all I have to say for now. Yoko, would you like to add anything? I am so happy that that this. Um, I'm just. I'm just feeling the generosity of every being that's supported on the way, and um, this is infectious. You know, generosity is infectious. So now, you know, we're offering this to you, and I hope that this will be carried on because this is really important time for this pipeline right now in the Mississippi River. It's a history, there's a long history in that liver, the memories of our bodies. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.